York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Getting right into it. Back to live and local programming here at WABC. That's our forte. As I continue on my marathon uh, production of all kinds of Curtis Lewa shows from, uh, well, actually 12 midnight to 6 in the morning uh, Saturdays. Then they came back and did uh, the uh, left right with Anthony Weiner from 3 to 4 after his uh, show in the middle from 2 to 3. That's Saturday. Then so nice, the suits had me come back twice. And I did uh, Sunday mornings, 12 to 6, uh, as I kept you awake to the break of dawn. And now I'm reviving you. I'm resurrecting you as I do 3 to 5 with live and local talk as I give you the headlines of the day. And then naturally you become the most important element of this show because it's interaction. I don't have guests. I have you, the listeners, who are given an opportunity to express yourself at 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And this is right before our entertainment blockbuster that is provided to you with the Staten Island Kid, the rising star at WABC, Vinnie Madunia from 5 to 6. So nice. He's doing it twice on the weekends. He does it before his mentor, Cousin Brucey, on Saturdays. And now management and ownership says, hey, bring the kid back for Sundays right before Joe Piscopo and the Sinatra extravaganza for two hours, sponsored by uh, Ramsey uh, Subaru, Ramsey Mazda. And then it's the one-year anniversary of the Dean Martin Show from 8 to 9. Hostess Dina, his daughter. Uh, so we're going to be raising the roof tonight, and then I'm back all over again from 11, excuse me, 9 to 11 with the rip and read of everything that took place in the in-between with commentary. And then the most listened to me, most requested and most phoned in of the many segments I do here at WABC on the Curtis Lewa Marathon over the weekends where WABC stands for always broadcasting, Curtis, the Animal Welfare Hour from 11 to 12 with my beautiful wife that I just celebrated her birthday on uh, July 5th, which was this past Tuesday, although still I have no idea, no idea how old she is. Like Frank Morano, she's taken the coat of Omerta and says she will take it to her grave. Uh, that's right, Nancy. She'll be available to answer any and all questions about dogs, cats, and other animals here at WABC, your place to be. But you must be wondering... Wow, Curtis, you don't strike me as an Elton John fan. Not, not, you know, with his uh, platform shoes and his bell-bottom pants when he sang this song, Philadelphia Freedom, not. But the reason I'm leading in with a three- to five-hour is Philadelphia is Michigash. It is out of control. Anarchy prevails there, and it might behoove the citizens of the very place where the Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4th of 1776, a virtual death warrant for the 52 men who bravely came forward and challenged the King of England because immediately afterwards, when he found out that that document had been signed in Philadelphia, he says, find them, hunt them down, hang them all, kill them from the nearest tree, including you, Lord Mayor 
of, excuse me, Lord Governor of New Jersey in Trenton, a guy whose name was William Franklin, son of Benjamin Franklin. His orders from the King of England was cross the Delaware River into Philadelphia, find your father, Benjamin Franklin, flying a kite with a key, you know, testing uh, electricity, find the nearest tree and hang him. And if you notice, thank God Benjamin Franklin persevered. William Franklin, uh, his son, failed. And when he was sent to prison uh, after the war, Benjamin Franklin rightfully didn't lift one finger to get his son out of jail. That was the basis and the birth and the baptism of this great country of ours. And when you think of Philadelphia, you say, that's where it all happened. But, oh, boy, have things gone in reverse. And I think I can make the case that the residents of Philadelphia should actually do what they did in Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Ceylon, right? I know, uh, Dizzy is is on the boards here. He's very nervous. I've given him a number of complicated details today for two hours. So that's why the bulletproof glass is set up between me, the board operator, the phone screener, and our weekend producer, Kevin. Because if you don't hit the marks, I will lose it. And who knows, we may not be able to finish this program. They may be taking me out in chains and shackles at the nearby 19th Precinct. But let's put that aside. Why am I comparing Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka, that island in the South Indian Ocean, that island nation, to Philadelphia? Well, I know that CNN, they've decided to go all Sri Lanka all the time. You know, in their new pension, we're going to be the global news network. We're getting away from controversial talk. We're just going to let you know what's going on in the place where all of our tea is grown. That's right. Remember when we were growing up, we were told, oh, yeah, Ceylon, that's where all the tea is picked. Whether you drank Tetley, whether you drank Lipton, none of these other 5,852 brands of tea, including Celestial Seasons, you know, Calamile tea, yeah. You know, real tea, black tea, uh, English breakfast tea that I hate. But anyway, many of you drink. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So you must be saying to yourself, Curtis, is this NPR? Is this National Public Radio? Do do I really need to know about Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka, and the fact that you see citizens there doing a January 6th? Notice they're doing a January 6th in Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka, and they're being praised by the world. They took over the prime minister's residence. They took over the president's residence. By the way, the president of uh, Sri Lanka has an insurance policy. He's a dual citizen. The other place he's a citizen of, of course, the United States that he's going to flee to <laughs> once he formally resigns. They've taken over Parliament in Colombo. By the way, I got a beef with Colombo because Colombo used to be those cheap, uh, crooked Italian cigars that my grandfather, Fidel Bianchino, would never smoke when he couldn't find his Denobla. So the cheap knockoffs were called Colombo. Not like the investigator on TV, Colombo. So let's get that straight geographically. There is Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka, a.k.a. the the nation's capital, the island nation in the South Indian Ocean, is Colombo. And if you want to know something else about Sri Lanka, it's where suicide bombing 
was invented. Not Al-Qaeda, not ISIS, not any of those crazy kukulamungas from the Persian Gulf of the Middle East who still pledge death and destruction to the big Satan America, the little Satan Israel from their hovels, their caves in South Yemen. No, the Tamils. The Tamils conducted 200 suicide bombings against India, who basically was the protective state of Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka. And in an intolerable, endless civil war that took place there, 200 suicide bombings in which they took out the son of Indira Gandhi. And you know what they used as a ruse? Uh, uh, Dizzy Izzy, a young Tamil lady as a seductress who came up to Indira Gandhi's son, who would have been the prime minister of India. And then she offered him some of her seductive uh, ways. She was strapped with a suicide bomb. The moment he came up to her in public because he was going to say, hey, what are you doing after this rally here? Boom! She pulled the ripcord. And they all went to wherever they go in the Hindu religion. You know, the 4,500 gods who exist out there. So I've given you a little bit of an update of what's going on internationally in uh, Ceylon, a.k.a. Sri Lanka. The world is raising the roof. They're saying, look at them. They took over the presidential palace. They took over the prime minister's residence. They took over the House of Parliament. And I'm looking at that. And I'm saying, isn't that January 6th? The only thing we're missing is the guy with the Viking horns, you know, who was sitting there at Nancy Pelosi's desk saying, Nancy, where are you, Nancy? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. The reason I mention uh, Philadelphia is, could it get any worse? I know many of you are saying Chi-Town, Chicago, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, uh, Denver, Atlanta, Baltimore, Body Bag City, Washington, D.C., our own city, New York City, that had 54 shot uh, in the extended 4th of July weekend, nine killed. We've had more carnage, more shootings. I'm going to go through all of that, including drive-by shootings now in New York City on city bikes. Yeah, that's the rage. In other cities, they have drive-by shootings in cars. You know, that's the norm. In New York City, we not only have drive-by shootings in cars, we had it outside of St. Patrick's Cathedral, Rockefeller Center, Saturday morning, 6 o'clock, when I got off the air, a drive-by shooting down Fifth Avenue, and the cops are like, which way did he go? Which way did he go? Which way did he go? We still haven't caught the individuals responsible for that, but the majority of the drive-by shootings being conducted in the five boroughs of the city of New York now are on city bikes, and I guarantee you they weren't rented. They've been stolen. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. at 1-800-848-WABC. So let's get right into it about Philadelphia. Remember, they had the uh, bombs bursting in air. They had their fireworks extravaganza, which every year is really good. I don't know if any of you, I know a lot of listeners of ours are in southern New Jersey, are in the greater Philadelphia area, in eastern Pennsylvania, Easton, Allentown, Bethlehem, along the Lehigh Valley. And you all have roots in Philly, like our own Mark Levin, who grew up outside of Philadelphia. By the way, listening to uh, the King of Talk Radio, Bob Grant, both at WABC and before that, WWDB in Philadelphia. So there's a lot of synergy between all of us here in New York City and Philadelphia and everybody in New Jersey who is bifurcated because from the middle of Pennsylvania, uh, the middle of New Jersey South, they have to get their Philadelphia news 
uh, from the middle of New Jersey north. They get their New York City news and barely get any news about the state run by Governor Murphy, who's away on a perpetual vacation at his $38 million villa in Italy, and he couldn't give Jackie Lee Squat a damn about anybody in Jersey because he calls you all knuckleheads. But then again, you decided to elect him instead of Citarelli. A pox on all of you. Our numbers one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. So what happened? July fourth, major fireworks along the Ben Franklin Parkway, as Wawa sponsored the celebration. You know, we have uh, Macy's. They have Wawa. Right? Forget Seven Eleven. Right? Hey, it's Wawa. I love Wawa. I hate Seven Eleven. Wawa is the best. So anyway, Wawa is celebrating. The Welcome America celebration had to be at least 150,000 Philadelphia maniacs, you know, Philly fans, Eagle fans, Broad Street Bully fans. They're crazy to begin with, but you assemble 150,000 of them in the Ben Franklin Parkway to watch watch the fireworks. There's going to be fireworks on the ground. And right on the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Made famous by, remember, Stallone as Rocky running up and down the steps. And then they built a statue in his honor right there. Some enemy of society pulls out a gun, a 9 millimeter, and shoots two cops in the middle of the fireworks demonstration trying to assassinate them. Montgomery County Sheriff Deputy John Forster, remember the name, and Philadelphia cop Sergio Diggs. They have yet to find the person or persons responsible. An execution, an attempted execution of cops in Philadelphia, but that's the norm, not the exception to the rule. And the mayor there, who's a turn-em-loose mayor, Jim Kinney, he said, I've had it. I want to resign. So naturally, the people of Philadelphia said, Glory, Halioski, hallelujah, you want to resign, resign. Then 24 hours later, he goes, no, 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 no. I take back my resignation. I really want to be your mayor. No, everybody, no, no, we'll take your resignation. I'm suggesting to people just take over the mayor's house right now. Like you see the demonstrators in Ceylon and Sri Lanka. The guy doesn't want to be mayor? Don't let him come back. You need to kick him out. You need to kick the DA out in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner, put there by Soros. I mean, you think Alvin Bragg is bad in Manhattan? Larry Krasner, believe it or not, is worse. He turns loose everyone, including cop shooters. And can you imagine your police commissioner in Philadelphia, which had 600 murders last year, an all-time record. 300 were not even halfway through the year. 1,100 people shot, most of them unsolved in Philadelphia. The woman's name is Danielle Outlaw. Why would you have a police commissioner whose name is Outlaw? And where did they recruit her from? Portland. No, not Portland, Maine. Portland, Oregon, where every night it's Black Lives Matter and Antifa. No justice, no peace. You don't do what we want, we burn you down. Burn it all down to the ground. And you say to yourself, this is crazy. And then all of a sudden, you see what transpired. Oh, my God. A video that would make the most hardened, skeptical, jaded individual... Think twice about what we're doing in the criminal justice system and what's happening in the streets of America. This incident took place June 14th. What, what, what's the date now, Dizzy Izzy? The date now, huh? We're almost a month later, July 10th, right? We're just now learning about a video 
of what transpired on June 14th at Cecil B. Moore Avenue. Been there many times in Philadelphia at 3 o'clock in the morning. First off, you see these three African-American teenagers. Make that seven, excuse me, but three that are prominently displayed. Boys and girls. And they're lollygagging around at 3 o'clock in the morning, and you say, what the hell are they doing out 3 o'clock in the morning? June 14th, believe it or not, school hadn't even been dismissed yet. But I doubt seriously these seven enemies, young enemies of society, junior enemies of society, had any intention of going to school. Three o'clock in the morning, they're roaming around looking for trouble, like a scene out of Clockwork Orange. Equal numbers of boys, equal numbers of girls. And they come upon... A 72-year-old man who understands the moment he's profiled them that it's double trouble. They're not going to let him get around them whatsoever. The guy's name, James Lambert, 72. We speak about him in the past because he's dead. And we're finding about all about it now based on this video. Why do you think the DA, Larry Krasner, why do you think the mayor who doesn't want to be mayor there, Jim Kenney, why do you think the police commissioner with the craziest name in the world that is synonymous with Philadelphia, which if you've ever been there, is like you got two butt cheeks on both sides of Philadelphia, Camden on the Delaware Riverside in Jersey, Crime Central, and Chester, that's right, on the Pennsylvania side, which squeezed Philadelphia in, Both of them have their own crime problems, but Philadelphia, the biggest crime problem of all. Why are they releasing this tape almost a month later and putting out a $20,000 reward? And as a broadcast time here, uh, Kevin, our producer extraordinaire, I understand that the code of the streets has kicked in around Cecil B. Moore Avenue. Snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. What the hell were these kids doing out at 3 o'clock in the morning, unsupervised? Where were their parents, if they even have parents? Guarantee you, probably none of them had daddies around, or if the daddy was around, it was probably the uncle, you know, laid up on the couch. Or the daddy was somebody you wouldn't even want to be around because he had a bad influence on the kids. They're lollygagging around at 3 o'clock in the morning. They look at this 72-year-old guy, James Lambert, and it's almost like they're a pack. They're a pack of hyenas. They're a pack of jackals. They surround him. They won't let him escape. You can see he's desperately trying to escape. They pick up those orange cones. If you've ever been in Philadelphia, it's orange cone hell. They haven't repaired the streets, not only in Philadelphia, but all of eastern Pennsylvania in a month of Sundays. There are orange cones everywhere. So the kids are picking up the orange cones, and they're battering him over and over again. Once he gets up, it's the girls who come and pick up the cones. And they do them in, boom, to the ground. And they're laughing like jackals and hyenas. They're taking turns, hitting him with the orange cones. He's scraped up off the asphalt. He's brought to a nearby hospital, and he died hours later. When was that? That was June 14th. Why are we hearing about it only now? Out of all the crimes that have taken place in America over the July 4th weekend, and let me tell you something. Massive numbers of crimes, dozens that were shot in Philadelphia, many killed in addition to this. But even in our own city, what a disgraziata, that our mayor was having jet ski lag. That's right, he was on a jet ski with some white woman, Eric Adams. I have no idea who that woman is. He published the, his own video of him on jet skis in Mill Basin 
right near King's Plaza, going up and down. I guess he was on shark patrol or he had given up fighting crime on the streets of the five boroughs because we ourselves over that that weekend of July 4th had over 54 that were shot, nine killed, competing with Chi-Town, which is the murder capital, gang capital, drive-by shooting capital, carjacking capital of America, who had 68 shot and eight killed. We actually had one more killed than in all of Chi-Town. And you say to yourself, what the hell is going on? But with all that and two shootings by cops that took place within one hour, one in Cambria Heights, An emotionally disturbed guy comes out of his house. He's on the corner. It's clear. It's suicide by cop. This guy wants to die at the hands of the cops. He says, I'm going to kill Hochul, the governor. I'm going to kill the police commissioner. I'm going to take over the world yet. Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. And they had to gun him down. It was either shoot him or he was going to shoot them. Suicide by cop. Within an hour, downtown Brooklyn, they're chasing a guy who jumped out of his car. He has a gun. You can actually watch the video. The cops are trailing him. He pulls his gun out from his uh, waist waist belt. He fires on the cops. Then they take a, a defensive position. They fire back. He's dead on arrival downtown Brooklyn. And the chaos continues. The chaos continues. And if the people of Philadelphia and the surrounding area of eastern Pennsylvania would have stormed the mayor's house and take it over like the citizens have in Sri Lanka, a.k.a. Salam, I would applaud them. Because Kenny has already basically resigned. He doesn't want to be mayor, but then again, he recognizes, gee, I shouldn't have exited uh, out the the door uh, leftwardly here in Philadelphia. I should have at least sat out the rest of my time as mayor of this city that is in complete chaos and anarchy. You have Krasner, the DA, who turns all criminals loose, who's releasing this video almost a month after it happened, Clockwork Orange, in which a 72-year-old man is killed, savagely killed, like piranha, like white sharks, like orca whales. They seize upon their victims, and they hit them again and again and again with orange cones. And you say, where the hell are these people's parents or mentors or guardians or older brothers or sisters or wherever they're from? And can't get any answers. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go right uh, to uh, the calls. Let's go to Peter in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Peter. Hi, Curtis. Uh, I heard something went down in uh, uh, Coney Island. I heard it was a shooting, a pop-up barbecue. Did you hear anything on it? Yep, on the boardwalk. I had guardian angels out on patrol in the area because once the sun goes down, you better get out of that part of town of Coney Island. Bad, bad. They were on the boardwalk. They were raising the roof. They had an instantaneous uh, barbecue. And then you had competing gangs from various projects in the area, Cary Gardens, Coney Island Houses. They decided to have an instantaneous shootout. Police officers from the 6th Old Precinct responded. I'm sure it's on video. I'm not sure if arrests were made. But this is common. This is taking place all over the city, the five boroughs of the city of New York. Coney Island is unique because it's a place we want to attract people to come from all five boroughs, a much cheaper way of enjoying yourself on the beach. The rides are least ex- uh, less expensive than uh, Great Adventure and all those other locations. And it gives you a little bit of a slice of old-fashioned New York City. <clears throat> but, my God, it's happening again. Uh, anyway, uh, let's go to uh, Mark, who's calling from New York. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. 
Hey, Curtis, I was thinking that Eric Adams ran on stopping the crime and making the city safe, So, and he's certainly not doing that. So what he should be doing is he should either give over the reins to you uh, of taking care of the city or Rudy Giuliani, and he should take the job of becoming a cop for the police department because when he was in, in the police force years ago, it, two, com- two police commissioners who he was under said he, he didn't do anything anything special to be deserving of being called a hero in the police department. So if he wants to help make the city safe, which is what he ran on, he should become a cop and give the reins over to you. And well, maybe well that Mark, way. Mark the, only, the only thing he's going to give me is Ugats and Ajita, and the only thing he's going to give to Rudy Giuliani. We're going to give you an update on my Kumbadichich Rudy Giuliani coming up. He'll give him bupkis because the swagger man has no plan. Crime is exploding all over the five boroughs, and he doesn't have a plan. He's just chasing one crime situation to another crime situation to another crime situation. Up next, we got to talk about the attack on cops that continues all over the country, but the attack on Mike Kumbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, a double team this week. Just a day and a half after he came off of the operating table, he had two stents put in, one of them in his vein, you know, the one that's called the Widowmaker, all clogged up. He could have died. He could have died if the uh, stent wasn't put in in time. And Alphonse Sally Boyd D'Amato attacked him, and then it was like a double team from the high rope. Mayor Eric Adams attacked him exclusively. It was all done right here on WABC, your place to be. Talk Radio 77. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Let's get to the punchline here. What do we got to have this uh, musical underbed? Come on, let's do it. Come on. Yeah, about time, uh, Dizzy Izzy. Waiting a month of Sundays to hear Houdini, who I used to see practice their rap songs on the Staten Island Ferry after Rudy Giuliani became mayor. And with the help of Guy Malinari, the Staten Island Borough President, one of the first things they did was make the fair free. On the Staten Island Ferry. So Houdini, which was the up-and-coming rap group at that time, would get on the top uh, deck and entertain all the tourists who would use that as a free way to go back and forth and to see from a distance the Staten Island, uh, excuse me, the Statue of Liberty and Ellis Island in the distance. And it cost them nothing. And naturally, Houdini had a focus group. This song, Friends, and then freaks come out at night. Remember that classic, freaks come out at night? But that's not pertinent to our discussion now. It's about friends. I declare and have declared for many, many years that I am the Kumbadichich of Rudy Giuliani. During good times, during bad times. And boys had a lot of great times and a lot of bad times. But the measure of friendship is are you there with somebody when they're down and almost taking a dirt bath? And that was the situation that occurred. This, uh, actually, it was uh, a Friday ago in the aftermath of the loss of Andrew Giuliani in the GOP campaign to become governor of the state of New York. And then, if you remember, he gave a wonderful concession speech. And Rudy and I, who had supported him in his attempt to become the GOP nominee, we all three, like the three horsemen said, that we would coalesce and support Congressman uh, Zeldin, 
uh, to uh, topple uh, crime wave Kathy Holcomb. Well, we're all in solidarity on that. And so Rudy was, like, decompressing because uh, for about two weeks, unbeknownst to us, he had had major chest pains. He sucked it up. He wouldn't tell anybody, not even his companion, Dr. Maria. And then by Friday, he just couldn't deal with the chest pains any longer. He had to be taken into the hospital. And on Tuesday morning, a special procedure was done for him because they had indicated to Rudy and Dr. Maria that he had two, two veins that were almost all clogged up especially the Widowmaker's vein, which, as you know, if that gets clogged up, it's over. Lights out, DOA, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. They put in two stents. Rudy took about a day and a half to recover. Remember, we found out about it on Wednesday as Andrew Giuliani, his son, substituted with Dr. Maria, and then he was back the very next day. Well, guess what? His enemies couldn't wait to put the dirt on his grave. Starting right here on WABC, the Cats Roundtable Discussion, Thursday night, always the newsmakers with friends and foes of John Katsimatidis over the years, but they always become his friends. And one of his big friends and a voice that has been heard here for many, many years, Senator Alphonse Alleyboy D'Amato couldn't wait to kick dirt on the grave of his former friend, and now enemy for life, Rudy Giuliani. And, and let me tell you, this big former idiot president, and I say idiot president, who lost the election, he lost it because who did he have? He had Rudy Giuliani running around screaming and, 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 and working, and he set him up. When Giuliani went over to the Ukraine, he set the president up. So now he's sort of put the silverware and the plates out on the table, the last supper for Rudy Giuliani, right? Now he's right. He was the reason that Rudy Giuliani became U.S. Uh, uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District, the most powerful prosecutor in the nation, and as a result, the one who put more mobsters away, cho- uh, choking on their lobsters uh, from Italian organized crime than any other Department of Justice official ever in the history. Uh, but they had a falling out. And the falling out was that Senator D'Amato had called up Rudy and said, hey, go easy on my buddy Phil Basile, a Lucchese guy. That's the guy who got the no-show job for Henry Hill in Goodfellas. That's right, you know, with Paul Ivario and that crew that I grew up with, those degenerate jadrules. Oh, oh so many say <laughs> That's the backstory. So now you figure, okay, Al D'Amato is aware that Rudy had the two cents put in. That didn't stop him. He is an idiot, and he's no good. And I put him in office. He begged I don't know why you hold back, Senator the U.S. Tomato. attorney. I made it. And I'm talking about Rudy Giuliani. And I'll tell you something else. Ouch. And nobody said a damn word about it. When George Pataki ran for governor, who came out and campaigned against him and flew around the state three weeks before the election? Rudy Giuliani. Do you remember that? I remember it. And Kasha, I remember it. Wait, wait. It was my airplane. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and it just got worse from there. Tony Carbonetti, who used to be the chief of staff for Rudy Giuliani for the eight years that Rudy saved this city from the abyss, uh, he got into it with Al, but it just went down. And we can't even play it. Come on, Kevin, don't even bother playing it. We'll have to, we'll have to bleep half the words coming from Al D'Amato. But we'll give him dispensation. Padre, Filius, Spiritus Santum, Al. 
But then the very next morning, you know, John Katsimatidis was doing double duty because Sid Rosenberg was on vacation. So he was doing all four hours of the morning show Monday through Friday last week with Bernard McGurk as the co-host. And he had on Eric Adams. Now, he's friendly with Eric Adams. Obviously, I'm not. But he tried to explain to Eric Adams that you keep attacking Rudy. You keep calling up. Mike McMahon, the DA in Staten Island, because you want Rudy arrested for filing a false police report. Look at what he says to Eric Adams to try to get him to calm down and understand Rudy might not have been around if not for that operation. Misunderstanding or whatever between you uh, and Mayor Giuliani, I want you to know that Mayor Giuliani was in a weak state of mind because of the fact uh, he wasn't breathing well. And uh, he's been like that for 30 days. And on Tuesday, right after that weekend, uh, on Tuesday, he had stents put in to, 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 to bring back his oxygen count up. So no, no matter how hard that person hit him in the back, he felt it because of his health problem. Now, John is sort of, he could be the Nobel Peace Prize winner. He's the only one who can get these people together, right? Like Al D'Amato, about Rudy. Eric Adams about Rudy. In fact, it's almost like Jimmy Carter. Remember with uh, uh, Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begin? Yeah, remember that? that people say, oh, you'll never be able to get them together. Jimmy Carter, to his credit, did. He Camp David Accords. But then, then listen to Eric Adams. And he, said, he knows Rudy was in the hospital. He's aware of that. It's like, I'm not even going to address that. Giuliani is not my focus. My focus is the safety of the city. I understand. And also the fair treatment of New Yorkers. His articulation of what happened was far different from that video. Uh, that is the issue. So now, uh, this this is a continuation from earlier in the week when Rudy went at Adams because Adams was showing sympathy and empathy for the ShopRite employee who got arrested and then cut loose by the ambulance shaker. Uh, the district attorney from uh, Staten Island, Mike McMahon, this is what Rudy had to say. You should shut your mouth and do your job. And you should stop going to fancy parties before you're entitled to go to them. You are a lousy mayor, Adams. Okay, so that's Rudy. Calm down, Rudy. You got those two stents in you. Uh, I don't want you to pop any blood vessels. But then Eric Adams went on to extrapolate. You would have thought this... 39-year-old ShopRite employee was, uh, what could we make him comparable to? Oh, that's right. Remember remember the great movie uh, in Turkey? You know, it had to do with uh, Midnight Express. Remember the American who was trying to bring drugs into Turkey and then he was, like, incarcerated for life? Listen to how Eric Adams describes the guy who had assaulted Rudy Giuliani. To have a New Yorker did not commit a crime and spent 24 hours in, a, in jail based on an articulation of an assault is troubling to me. And that is what I wanted to make clear. Jail is one of the most impactful, traumatizing things that can happen to an innocent New Yorker. And we need to be very careful before we place a New Yorker who has not committed a crime inside incarceration. Our freedom is at the foundation of our constitution. Yeah, you would have thought this guy was Nelson Mandela, right, on Robbins Island off of Cape Town, South Africa. I've been to Robbins Island, a horrid place for anybody to be incarcerated. This guy was like six hours overnight, Staten Island. He gets cut loose the next day by uh, McMahon. 
who Eric Adams admitted to the Daily News he did have a personal conversation with McMahon. He said, I want you to cut loose the guy from ShopRite, and I want you to charge uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani with filing a false police police report. He's still on Rudy Giuliani's jockstrap. So what happened yesterday? I'm looking at the news, and I'm seeing Vito Fisella, the borough president, and oftentimes a guest on the – uh, the 5 o'clock uh, Katsimatidis roundtable discussion. And I see the nemesis here, the uh, ambulance chaser, the DEA of Staten Island, McMahon, and they're all speaking out in favor of the bodega clerk, Jose Alba, who finally has been released and he's home. He's wearing the ankle bracelet. He got stabbed up by this woman that started the ruckus that ended up uh, having him take the life of a boy toy, the baby mama drama that took place over the counter at the bodega at 139th Street and Broadway, uh, right there, the uh, Blue Moon Bodega. And I'm looking at Borough President Vito Fisella and D.A. McMahon and some of the other elected officials, and they're at a bagel-bending joint on Eltingville, Staten Island, which is the place where Mikey Scars D. Leonardo was living when he planned the execution of me on behalf of John Gotti Jr.? A bagel-bending store in Eltingville? You think these guys could have come across the Verrazano Bridge and gone to 139th and Broadway? No, they're not going there. Oh, we're not going there. We'll have our press conference out in Staten Island. And then McMahon is talking about that would never happen in Staten Island. I'm saying, what's wrong with all these Republicans? They're standing around McMahon, who they don't even challenge. They don't even run a candidate against. It's like, you scratch my belly, Democrats, we'll scratch your belly. And McMahon is acting, yeah, yeah, alter. Meantime, this is a guy who took the call from Eric Adams, who has to make a decision whether he's going to file charges against Rudy Giuliani, who's Mr. Staten Island, it might as well be called Giuliani land, on the orders from the mayor to have him arrested for filing a false police report. Come on, guys. You know what I told McMahon last week at the July 4th, Travis 4th of July parade, longest running in the nation. I said, McMahon. You filed charges against Michael Bonacic, Rudy Giuliani. I'm going to encourage Rudy to come live on Staten Island before November and run against you for DA, and you will get bupkis. He will wipe you out. And you should have seen. McMahon has white hair. And all of a sudden, he looked at me like, oh, my God, Slee was serious. Yeah, don't play with me, McMahon. Uh, you take the call from a- And then Eric Adams has the coulions, the hubris. The Wapos, to then tell the media, I don't interfere with district attorneys like Alvin Bragg. He has his job to do. I have my job to do. I stay out of the prosecutor's office. Meantime, he admits calling up Mike McMahon in the middle of the night while he was on his fourth martini with his wife. By the way, McMahon's wife is a judge. You think there's a conflict of interest that your wife is a judge that handles Staten Island cases and you're the DA? You think there's a little bit... Of a problem there? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Larry in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Larry? Hi, Curtis. You know, as a lawyer, I'll speak as a lawyer on behalf of Rudy Giuliani, a fellow, because he's my, he's my kumbara chief also. I believe he could possibly sue Adams and possibly, but not, not necessarily McMahon, but conspiracy to deprive him of his civil rights. And let me tell you why. You know, Warner Wolf used to always say, let's go to the videotape, you know, but you want to know something? The videotape doesn't always show something. 
Bruce Lee, everybody knows Bruce Lee mastered the art of the two-inch punch, okay? Now, this guy put his hand a few inches away from Rudy's back, okay? He had thick wrists. I saw the way he was built. And when he, when he made impact, it was like the Bruce Lee two-inch punch. He accelerated into the guy's back and pushed him. And, he, and, he, and the exclamation point was, was the profanities that he used. Now, Eric Adams, unless he's really stupid, and if he's that stupid, he should be removed for being stupid. Well, the, okay? only, the only one who can remove the governor, excuse me, the mayor, just like the only one who can remove legally, Alvin Bragg, or any district attorney in the state, is Governor Crime Wave Kathy Holcomb. She has the power to do that. Remember, it was always thought Cuomo, Andrew Ebelize Cuomo, might remove Bill de Blasio, especially when he went away for those four and a half months, which he was like Don Quixote swinging against windmills. He was with the uh, scarecrows in Iowa where there was more uh, corn and pigs and people trying to get votes in the Democratic primary to be president. He was at fish fries in South Carolina. He was at slot machines in Vegas. He got bupkis votes. But Cuomo had actually hinted, you know, I have the power. The governor has the power to remove a sitting mayor, which he does, and in this case, Kathy Hochul does, or a sitting district attorney. But he never pulled the trigger, even though the two supreme cuisines uh, <laughs> were at it, at one another. Radio 77, York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. You know, sometimes I sit at home, you know, and I watch TV. And I wonder what it would be like to live someplace like, you know, the Cosby Show, Ozzy and Harriet. You know where cops come and got your cat out of the tree? All your friends died of old age. But you see, I live in South Central Los Angeles. And unfortunately... Ice-T, Ice-Cube, Ice-Tray, Vanilla Ice, one of those ices, they should all melt down. By the way, D.A. Gascon, up for recall. They had 12 shot in South Central uh, just over this weekend. And by the way, D.A. Gascon, who will be recalled because he's a turn-em-loose Alvin Bragg type, he actually was the deputy police commissioner, believe it or not, to Bill Bratton in Los Angeles. And he was an law and order guy then. And you say, what the hell happened to this guy? Must have been the smell of Soros money. Oh, God, I love the smell of Soros money in the morning, right? It's like Apocalypse Now, Robert Duval. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. The L.A. County D.A. Gascon, who will be going, going, gone. Love the smell of Soros turning loose money in the morning. Anyway... That gives you an idea of what's happening on uh, in Los Angeles and San Francisco and Portland and Seattle as is happening in Chicago and St. Louis, Detroit, Body Bag City, Baltimore, D.C., Atlanta, Philadelphia, and, of course, our own New York. And we could go on and on and on and on. But 
I want to go back to this Rudy Giuliani situation. Here it is. The guy is on an operating table. Two stents. It's what Dick Cheney had. Remember, I think Dick Cheney had like 24 stents. He's got an artificial heart now, but he used to be a degenerate smoker. Four packs of Camel unfiltered cigarettes a day, even after he had the stents. Lucky to be alive, as is our own Mark Levin that you can air every Monday through Friday from 6 to 9. He's had 18 stents. Rudy had two stents, the most important in the Widowmaker's vein, that might well have kept him alive when he was on the operating table Tuesday all day. His son, Andrew, came on the airwaves and Dr. Maria, his companion, to explain uh, the fact that he was having chest pains for two weeks. And then to all of his detractors, Senator D'Amato, Mayor Eric Adams, our own operator and owner, John Katsimatidis, the ultimate Nobel Prize peacemaker trying to bring everybody together, explained it to the mayor while he was substituting for Sid Rosenberg Friday morning with Bernard McGurk on the morning show. Misunderstanding or whatever between you uh, and Mayor Giuliani, I want you to know that Mayor Giuliani was in a weak state of mind because of the fact uh, he wasn't breathing well, and uh, he's been like that for 30 days. And on Tuesday, right after that weekend, uh, on Tuesday he had stents put in to, 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 to bring back his oxygen count up. So no, no matter how hard that person hit him in the back, he felt it because of his health problem. Couldn't say it any better, right? I, I certainly couldn't say it better than John did. Kevin, you would agree, right? Dizzy, is he, right? It's like, okay, I, maybe maybe Eric Adams didn't realize it. Maybe uh, Senator D'Amato didn't realize it, but they knew it. <laughs> they didn't care. <laughs> this, is like, this is like a blood feud, a vendetta. Like what used to happen in Sicily and now happens in Albania, you know, where you carry over a blood feud. I, I saw this up uh, Dunhill Road, not far from Woodlawn. Two Albanian guys. One was chasing the other Albanian guy. I was with the Guardian Angels right off the number four train, Woodlawn, the last stop. We're running in the direction, and the next thing we see, this one Albanian guy pull out a gun. The other Albanian guy is caught up against the car, and he shoots him right in the head. And we grab him, and the cops come. Uh, Mashula Parkway, 52nd Precinct. They lock him up, and we find out this was a blood feud from 200 years ago in Albania. Is that crazy or what? It's like a blood feud. Aldemano, Eric Adams teaming up together against Mike Kumbaricic, Rudy Giuliani. Hey, you team up against Mike Kumbaricic, hey, then you got me as an enemy too, okay? We'll go old school. Although, if you notice, Aldemano took shots at former President Donald Trump there too. The big guy. You notice he wouldn't say his name. The big guy. Can't wait to hear Trump talk about the motto on the campaign trail. Anyway, let's go back to the phone. Oh, in the next hour, we got to talk about the three guys who just all died. Ray Liotta, James Kahn, Tony Sirico. All all three of them have ties to contributors here and hosts at WABC. I'm going to make the case of the Troika, the Trinity, the Trifecta, since all three have died in the last month. Oh, you're not going to want to miss it. Hey, don't tell me, oh, I got to go out for a walk, walk the dog. No, you don't. You stay right there in front of WABC because not only are you going to listen to five, when uh, Vinny Madunia comes on and begins the entertainment cycle, you got Vinny, yeah, then you got Joe Piscopo, six to eight, uh, with the Frank Sinatra two-hour extravaganza sponsored by Ramsey Mazda. And then it's the first year anniversary 
of the Dean Martin Show featuring his daughter, Dina Martin. They're going to re-raise in the roof, and then they come back and do it all over again. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Chuck D and I really hate Flavor Flav with that clock around his neck. I'd like to strangle him. By the way, how did Flavor Flav end up with Brigitte Nielsen in the sack doing a show in which he was fornicating with her like every week on VH1? How the hell? Brigitte Nielsen. Remember Rocky Four? We want a wolf there. His teeth falling out of his mouth as he was describing what was happening in the ring with the big Russian. Remember, she was hooked up with the Russian. Then she was hooked up with Stallone. Then she was hooked up with Gastonow. And she ends up with Flavor Flav. What the hell happened there? Anyway, I digress momentarily. It was Chuck D, right? A public enemy. Acts like he's from the hood. You know where he grew up? Not far from the Nautical Mile there. Right next to Roosevelt. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Him. It went to... Man, you know where they went to? You know what college they went to? Anybody knows what college they went to. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars. You get a Curtis Sliwa booby prize. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, he tried to uh, be a talk show host on Air America, the liberal station. It crashed and burned. You know who his co-host this was? Rachel Maddow. No wonder why he's never done talk radio again. By the way, when she used to do talk radio, she would read everything off a piece of paper like she does at MSNBC once a week now. You know, the diva of MSNBC, she reads it off the teleprompter. Never cut it as a talk radio show host. Hey, Chuck D, go out on tour in Davenport, Iowa, where people still remember you. Anyway, let's go to the phones. It's Chris. Calling from the Catskills, which has been revived. The Irish Alps and the Jewish Himalayas. Up Route 17. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Curtis, you know that situation in Sri Lanka with their economy started from the government placing a ban on artificial fertilizers, making it so it had to be organic. And then with supply chain issues with the COVID pandemic, they couldn't get the organic fertilizer. They had to lay off 70% of the workforce, which is employed in the tea industry. That's what led to uh, the economic turmoil. Yeah. yeah, but didn't you love the headline? CNN has been covering it round the clock. To me, it looked like January 6th in Ceylon in Sri Lanka. There was okay. Here was horrible, horrible. They burned down his, his residency after he resigned. <laughs> and they were swimming in the president's pool, the Olympic size. I love that. I can't get Curtis, enough of that. The two hours of radio, I'm, I'm recovering from a breakthrough COVID infection. I fell asleep 
during the second hour. I've been listening to some of it on the podcast. That is the most amazing two hours of talk radio I've ever heard in my life. The historical overview you give, talking about Bob Grant and all the associative players involved. I mean, it should be on like a PBS documentary. The documentary channel should contact you. Just outstanding radio, Curtis. Well, Chris, let me make mention, Chris, uh, that our own Chris Libertini attempted episode seven. I listened to it after the show that I do with Anthony Weiner, Saturday afternoon, three to four, after he does his solo show in the middle, uh, two to three, then it's three to four, left versus right. So I was happy we weren't going to get the best of, which is really the worst of, the other side of midnight with Frank Morano from four to five Saturday. It was episode seven. I listened to it and I said, what? That's it, Chris Libertini? So I took over two hours in the overnight show, and I hope, I hope we're going to put it up there in competition with that lame effort by Chris Libertini. What the hell was that? Rush, we know all about Rush. We know all about Sean Hannity. We know all about Mark Levine. What more is there to know? I told stories about people who are no longer here, who are fixtures at WABC. Lynn Samuels, the greatest talk radio hostess ever. Jay Diamond. Brian Whitman, Matt Drudge, who was a talk show host here Sunday nights, even had higher ratings than I have on Sunday nights. He was going to be a syndicated talk radio number one superstar at WABC. That was going to be his base Monday through Friday, 6 to 9, which is where Mark Levin is now. He walked away from it. He told our company, now I'm going down to South Beach. i am just got my Drudge report, and I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life. I love talk radio. But guess what? No way. He walked away. I told all those stories. Chris Libertini, he wasn't even birthed yet. What would he know? He was playing with his G.I. Joe doll or his G.I. Jane doll. Anyway, up next, oh, we talk about the trifecta. We talk about Ray Liotta. We talk about Tony Sirico. We talk about James Kahn here exclusively on WABC. Talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me, my lover stands on golden sand. Watches the ships. Oh, Bobby Darren. We lost him way too early. I think at the age of 36, he had rheumatic fever. Like my mother, Francesca, they told you, you can't move when you have rheumatic fever. you got to sit in one place or your aorta may explode. Luckily, my mother, Francesca, survived that, lived until she was 92. I miss her dearly. But Bobby Darren died uh, like 36. And, you know, I remember listening to... Uh, the king of all top 40 radio, right? Our own cousin Brucey that John and Margot Katsimatidis brought back. Back to their place that he he needed to be, WABC, La Familia here. And he had on Connie Francis, and Connie Francis told a great story. Connie Francis said, you know, my one biggest regret is that Bobby Darren said to me, let's elope. And I love Bobby Darren. But I figured, in respect to my father, you know, Italian-American tradition, I would tell my father, you know, me and Bobby Darren, we want to get married. He'd say, you do that, I'll kill him. And so naturally, Bobby Darren didn't come around anymore. 
and Connie Francis revealed exclusively here on WABC to uh, Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10 on Saturdays. Right before that is protege Vinnie Maduna will be coming up next. The Staten Island kid, the rising star here at WABC. She revealed that to who? Not in her memoirs, but to Cousin Brucey. So it's not just Brucey playing music. He's telling stories. And in fact, inadvertently, he's part of what I call the Trinity, the Troika, the Trifecta here. The three men in the last month who passed away. First was Ray Liotta, most famous for Goodfellas, right? Then it was James Caan last Thursday, most famous for being Sonny Corleone in The Godfather, although I loved him in Misery. Oh, I loved him. The Kathy Bates broke both his ankles, and I'll tell you why momentarily. And then, of course, Tony Sirica, who was the real leg breaker, who would go out and collect the vig, you know, his mother. He was a real Mama Luke and Benson. Her. She'd wake up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. She'd make him fresh pasta bazoo, right? You put it in a paper cup with a plastic spoon. He'd be eating the pasta bazoo, and then you go to the Colombo crime family and say, hey, whose leg do I have to break? Who owes the vig? He was legit, the legitimate bad guy. The other two were wannabes. They went on to college, university. I oh, will tell their story momentarily. But let's start with Tony Sirico, right? Because believe it or not, Tony Sirico, let me get this right, Kevin. I'm thinking back. He appeared in... Godfather, Godfather 2, obviously the Sopranos for every episode, as Paulie Walnuts, his only demand of David Chase, only demand because they wanted him originally as uh, Uncle Junior, and and David Chase said, no, 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 no. Uh, you're not Uncle Junior, Uh, but he said, uh, he created this part, Paulie Walnuts, he said, only one thing, you can kill me off in any episode, I understand, this is the business that we're in. But don't have me rat anybody out. I refuse to eat the Parmesan cheese. So that was their deal as part of him being one of the stars of the Sopranos over the years. I'm trying to remember he was also in Goodfellas. I want to go through that scene. They're at the Bamboo Lounge, right? Bamboo Lounge, which was actually not in South Ozone Park or Howard Beach. It was in Canarsie. How do I know? Because I remember I was there two hours later. They had just torched the joint on Avenue N and Rockaway Parkway. And Ray Liotta, Henry Hill, was going through a litany of the Lucchese wise guys of Paulie Vario, who I actually knew. There was Jimmy and Tommy and me. And there was Anthony Stabile. How you doing? Frankie Carbone. And then there was Mo Black's brother, Fat Andy. And his guys, Frankie the Wop, Freddie No Nose, and then there was Pete the Killer, who was Sally Balls' brother. And you had Nicky Eyes and Mikey Francesi and Jimmy Two Times, who got that nickname because he said everything twice. Like. Well, what happened to Tony Stacks? That was. Uh... That was Paulie Walnuts. If anybody can tell me out there, because I know, I know that Paulie Walnuts was in the Goodfellas. I just can't do the photo identification, the photo uh, identification in my mind with what scene he played in Goodfellas. 
Tony Stacks, right? Tony Stacks. That was, uh, please, you get a Curtis Lee with booby prize. Don't ask, don't tell. We throw nickels around like manhole covers. But you'll be styling and profiling in a beautiful WABC uh, cap with the Curtis Lee Show, the many editions of the Curtis Lee Show. Although we should really have a new cap that says WABC always broadcasting Curtis, always broadcasting Cats and Matitas. Because that's, that's the way it's been of late here. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Who is Paulie Walnuts playing? Stacks, Tony Stacks, right? Tony Stacks. And Goodfellas, I can't do the photo identification in my medulla or cere- cerebellum. 1-800-848-9222. But believe it or not, with the passing of all three of these guys, the two wannabe gangsters, Ray Liotta, James Kahn, I'll get to them momentarily. The real leg breaker was Tony Sirico. And, and I know, Sid Rosenberg, back from vacation tomorrow morning, 6 to 10, He'll rejoin with his partner, Bernard McGurk. He's probably sitting shiva for Tony Sirico. Yeah, he loved Tony Sirico. He's probably bringing the hamantash in, although Tony Sirico will probably be laid out at the Sirico funeral parlor in Bensoners. Right. Same family. No hamantash. But don't tell that to Sid, who always wanted to be an Italian. But he obviously had a bar mitzvah, which means he's a Jew, although he was just in the movie about the Gemini Lounge with all the degenerate killers that I grew up with on Troy Avenue. Uh, that's going to hit the big screens. And he just celebrated another year's edition of Gravesend on cable TV that he starred in, too. And he always wants to be an Italian guy. Oh, it's so common. That's James Conn. We're going to get to James Conn. He, he was reading uh, Torah and Talmud. He, uh, he didn't want to be a Jew. He, I want to be an Italian. Tough nookies. You're not an Italian. Why the hell would you want to be an Italian? And, and we'll get to James Conn. Let's deal with Tony Sirico. Tony Sirico, we had information provided to us by a very infamous court clerk who calls up the Curtis Lewis show overnights, the other, other, other side of midnight when we do our mob talk editions. And he told us something that directly impacted on one of our hosts here at WABC. Exclusively, you heard that here on the Curtis Lewis show. But let me, let me set the plate first of why this guy personally knew this very infamous court clerk, knew Tony Sirico, the real Tony Sirico, not Paulie Walnuts. While I'm calling, I'm the court clerk who's called you a couple of times. I want to tell you, if, you're, if your listeners, you know, they're all uh, fans of The Sopranos. I never watched it that much. But one guy that was really on it was a bad guy. I knew him from a kid. Is Sirico guy. I don't know if you know him or ever interviewed him. Are you friends with him? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Tony, Tony, oh, Tony Sirico, I've had words with him. In fact, uh, we were at uh, Belmont Racetrack uh, for the running of the Preakness. I'll never forget, it was a time where Tom Swazi was the uh, uh, county executive in Nassau County, so that's half of Belmont. The other half is in Queens. None of the bathrooms were working. It was hot, sweltering heat, and Tony Sirico walks into the men's room uh, right next to me, and if looks could kill, we'd both be dead, George. And he was in a box with Chrissy from The Sopranos. They're both degenerate gamblers. And by the way, uh, let me amend that. It must have been so hot, I thought it was at the Preakness. That's The Preakness is in Pimlico, outside of Baltimore, second leg of the Triple Crown, right after the Kentucky Derby. That's the Belmont Stakes, third leg. And I don't think there was a Triple Crown winner that year, but it was so hot. And none of the toilets were working. It was like 110 degrees in the shade. Some of you were probably there that day. Me and Tony Sweet, the bathrooms, they were huge. He's at the urinal. 
He's holding his three-piece set. I'm at the urinal. I'm holding my three-piece set. If these were machine guns, we both would have been dead. We both would have been dead. We hated one another. Meantime, oh, oh, you got to be listening to Sid Rosenberg in the morning. He's probably going to do his eulogy. All four hours. I guarantee you, Sid. Oh, Tony Sirico. I'll never forget him. He was on the beach at Brighton Beach. He had a can of Rheingold next to him. Rheingold? How low budget is that? Rheingold? Uh, anyway, I, I digress. Here's the court clerk talking about how Tony Sirico and his half-Jewish, half-Italian pal who got whacked did a number on our own cousin Brucey. He comes back to the pool room one day. Now, this is, maybe you can text Cousin Bruce. He comes back with a guy named Richie Grossman. Richie Grossman was half Italian, half Jewish. He was, he was uh, whacked, too, down the road. They came back, and they said, we just burglarized Cousin Brucey's apartment. Cousin Brucey lived on Ocean Parkway. I don't know if it's true. So maybe if you ever speak to Cousin Brucey, you can, like, text him to see if he was ever burglarized about 55 years ago. Ocean Parkway. I- imagine I'm texting Cousin Brucey. I know nothing. <laughs> I have no, I don't remember. You know, there are guys in our business. The moment I mention mobsters, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about. Stern never wanted to talk about it. I just never wanted to talk. My mentor, the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, said, leave those guys alone, right? That's why I never talk about them. I talk about them all the time. You think Cousin Brucey's going to remember 55 years ago? He probably does. His memory is so acute. I mean, the guy remembers everything. That one was erased from his memory like an Etch-A-Sketch. Who? Paulie Walnuts who? Huh? Exclusive here on WABC, you heard it. And then James Conn, right? The passing of James Conn. Oh, I really despise Jimmy Conn. Born in the Bronx. Jewish parents from Germany. His father was in the wholesale business, kosher meat. His mother was a homemaker. This guy was a real mamaluke, you know. And by the way, he went to a privileged elite high school in Manhattan. They moved to Sunnyside, and he was always a wannabe guy, a wannabe guy. He hung out with the Columbos, Andrew Mush Russo, and Frank Morano's friend, Tommy Schatz Gioli. By the way, Tommy Schatz, right? Let me tell you something. He, he's going to rot in jail. He should. So it's back in the heyday of the Colombo crime family. Jimmy Breslin had written the book, uh, The Gang That Couldn't Shoot Straight, about the internal wars in the Colombo crime family. And Tommy Schatz uh, temporarily inherited uh, leading the Colombo crime family, and they owned the rights to Deep Throat. Now, don't get, don't get excited here, Dizzy Izzy. I know Kevin already had to leave. Deep Throat? You're kidding. Yeah, the Colombo crime family owned that. And uh, it was the bomb. I mean, more people watch Deep Throat, the triple X-rated movie, than even watch The Godfather. And they watched it again and again because, you know, they were self-pleasurizing themselves. I'm not going to go any further with that. So here's Tommy Schatzioli with a sort of shotgun in Diker Heights. One group of Columbos chasing the other group of Columbos over the ownership of the film Deep Throat. And he kicks in the door at this mansion and he pumps that double-barrel shotgun, that Winchester, and he fires through the door. And on the other side, it's a nun. The nun died. You're going to burn in hell, Tommy Schatzioli. But anyway, they were all friends with Jimmy Conn. But Jimmy Conn, he was never out in the street. You know, he pretend wise guy. So I'm talking about how James Conn went to uh, the court 
and uh, was a character witness for Andrew Mushruso, who was represented, by the way, by Jeffrey Lickman, who was one of my many partners in talk radio, the same guy who defended John Gotti Jr. in the trial where he tried to kill me and kidnap me the first time. And if not for one juror, Gotti Jr. would be doing triple life without parole. But anyway, so Aunt, uh, Andrew Mushruso just recently died. About 100 uh, Jadrul's knuckle-draggers were at his wake and funeral, Jeffrey Lickman, not James Kahn. He was having a difficult time physically, but he always stood. He would come. He would fly. He would drop everything and come to court and be a character witness for Andrew Mush Russo, who was arrested many times. So now all of a sudden I'm at AM 970, the answer, right? Four years of my life, I'll never get back. What a mistake that was with the Holy Rollers. I'm doing AM drive. I'm doing FM, uh, PM drive. Forget FM. Freaking morons, feeble-minded, fornicating madly, free marijuana and Frank Morano. Although WLIR, our sister station, FM station out in the east end of Long Island, you want to be listening to that. So anyway, I tell this story on the air, and I had one fact wrong, which I'm going to correct. I'm going to amend many years later. And all of a sudden, I get sued. By the lawyer for Jimmy Kahn and for Andrew Mushruso. And naturally, AM 970, the Holy Rollers, oh, they're going to come and put a horse's head in our bed in California. It made me apologize. I had to put my three-piece set between my legs and listen to my apology. I would like to take this opportunity to correct a few statements I made in earlier broadcasts on my show concerning the well-known actor James Kahn. Contrary to my prior statements, Mr. Khan was not in attendance at a court hearing involving Andrew Russo in New York on April 15, 2011. And therefore, he did not kiss Mr. Russo on the mouth at that hearing, as I previously stated. I also falsely stated that Mr. Khan was a trisexual. I have no knowledge about Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities, and it was not my intention to question Mr. Khan's sexual preferences or activities. Although Mr. Khan had written a letter to the judge in support of Mr. Russo obtaining bail, I incorrectly referred to that letter as a friend of the court brief. Further, Mr. Russo did not assist Mr. Khan in his early acting career. I retract my earlier baseless comments about Mr. Khan and sincerely apologize for making them. Yeah, right. The apology was worse than what I said, and they wrote the apology. You know who was my producer at that time? Frank Morano, he said, Curtis, they claim this is an apology. This is worse than what you originally said. You call the guy a trisexual before they had the 72 terms now, you know, gender bender identification and sexuality. You can refer to yourself in 72 different references as to who you are and what you are that day. There was no such term as trisexual. But you think those jadrus, those morons knew that? They put it right in the apology. Now I received a document from the FBI, which was back then forever busting Italians, after 9-11 forever busting Islamists. There was only one correction. They made me do that apology. I'm going to read it to you. One correction. Andrew Mushruso faced substantial time for loan sharking. Eyebrows were raised in the courthouse when actor James Kahn, who starred in The Godfather, walked into the courthouse and embraced Carmine the Snake Persico with a kiss right on the lips. All I had was the wrong mobster. 
He didn't swap spit with Andrew Mushruso. He was lip-locking with Carmine the Snake Persico, head of the Colombo crime family. And for that, I got sued. You see, ladies and gentlemen, be careful with what you say. If you don't dot the I and cross the T. By the way, Carmine the Snake Persico, I guess he was a trisexual, too. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Somewhere. Love Bobby Darren. Beyond the sea. Somewhere waiting for. Went to Bronx High School of Science, was a brainiac. A brainiac. No doubt about it. Oh, he wrote so many jingles, so many songs, and then unfortunately passed away at the age of 36. But the reason I'm playing Bobby Darren again, this was one of the songs that Scorsese used for the great film, Goodfellas. The reason I call that a great film, because it was realistic. This is what these knuckle-draggers' lives were about. This was true to life. The Italian organized crime and all the wannabes who wanted to be made men. Like Bobby De Niro in this, wanted to be like Joe Pesci. Hey, right? Joe got two bullets in the back of his head. I mean, this was so true to life. Other than The Godfather. Godfather was a romanticized version of Italian organized crime. That did not exist. Goodfellas was the real deal. And how did I know? I grew up with the Lucchese's. Paul Ivario was featured in that. The Lucchese's on one side of Avenue L, the Gambinos on the other side with Paulie Castellano, who was a butcher at a butcher shop in 92nd and uh, Avenue L. But anyway, I digress. We already scored the Daily Double. We showed the linkage with the real-life Paulie Walnuts, Tony Sirico, who the infamous and famous uh, court clerk indicated might well have been involved in a home invasion of our own cousin Brucey 55 years ago when cousin Brucey had his Upalatia, his big house there right on Ocean Parkway. Everybody knew cousin Brucey lived there. Carlo Gambino lived uh, not as um, ostentatiously over on Ocean Avenue, the head of organized crime, but there was no linkage there. So that's one link, right? Tony Sirico possibly having done a home invasion of the house of Cousin Brucey will expect Sid Rosenberg, who returns from vacation tomorrow morning, to be rejoined with Bernard McGurk while he sits shiver for his friend Tony Sirico to explore as to whether Tony actually did that or not. My contact said he did. Maybe Sid can disprove that. That's why you got to listen. Six to ten tomorrow, it'll be like four hours of, of, of shiver for Tony Sirico, a.k.a. Paulie Walnuts. We showed you the linkage between me and James Kahn. The wannabe uh, mobster. In fact, I'll give you another little ditty about that. When John Gotti Sr., my enemy, was on trial for the fourth time in the Eastern District, downtown Brooklyn, the last time, when he ended up doing triple life without parole at Marion, I uh, was put there by his underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano, who ate the Parmesan cheese and the clear Memorex tapes of their conversations above the Ravenite uh, Club in uh, Little Italy, which is now a dress shop in which he was ordering executions of members of his own Gambino crime family. And even Sammy the Bull was saying, come on, John, the guy's a good earner. Hey, he's late. Well, maybe he was stuck on the BQE. He's disrespectful. Whack him. That guy was a homicidal maniac. But anyway, I digress. Because we see the linkage there 
Okay, so we got two so far. Okay, so we got uh, Tony Sirico breaking into possibly the house of Cousin Brucey. We'll leave it to Sid Rosenberg to figure that out. He knows all those wise guys. Then there's me and James Kahn and the fact that I want a retraction. Kevin, I want a retraction of that apology I did because instead of having James Kahn swapping spit and kissing Andrew Mush Russo on the mouth, it was really Carmine the Snake Persico. I have the FBI documents here, the clarification. I retract my apology. And then there's Bo Dito. Bo Dito, every Tuesday morning, is a guest of Bernie and Sid, the number one rated morning talk show host, host now, uh, show in America. Uh, and he used to be with Imus uh, all the time, same time, same place. Uh, legitimately, a cop who busted a lot of wise guys. I could go through a whole litany of them, and including enemies of society, the Palm Sunday Massacre, East New York, the nuns in East Harlem. Oh, we could go on and on about his exploits. But remember that famous scene with Ray Liotta, right? Ray Liotta was from New Jersey, adopted parents. He never knew any mobsters. He was a wannabe. But anyway, remember that famous scene at the end of Goodfellas when Ray Liotta has snorted his last line of cocaine. (laughs) And he's being chased. You know, we should have uh, Ice Cube doing uh, the ghetto bird. You know, the helicopters overhead. They got him bagged and tagged. And then all of a sudden, who bags him and tags him as the cop who arrests Ray Liotta, a.k.a. Henry Hill? Our own Bo Dito. Please, please, don't you move your Blow your brains out. Shut the car up slowly. You know, it's all of his lines always have the F-bomb. That's because he's true to life. That's the way it really looks. I've been busted many times. I don't ever remember a genteel cop. Curtis, please take the position. Put your hands behind you. Hey, F you. And then his Bo Deedle, one of the stars, Goodfellas, right towards the end. If you never saw it before, you got to play it. You watch Bo Deedle. I mean, this is the way cops used to be. When they could crack down on mobsters choking on their lobsters, in this case with Henry Hill, a.k.a. Ray Liotta. When was the last time you took a collar? Hey, f*** it, I'm talking to you. You don't want to say a f- word to me, you don't have to say anything to me. I don't really give a f- 25 years, pal, that's what you're going to do. And see how much of a good guy you're going to be then. Oh, brilliant. How many F-bombs was that, Kevin? That's like four or five. Hey, that's like Bo in real life. But no, he was involved. He was involved in busting these guys. He knew them all, and at times he'd have to bust them. And then the final scene that Bo Dietl is in—he's been in many of the movies, most recently The Irishman, but and also in Gravesend with Sid Rosenberg. Oh, a whole host of them. He probably introduced Sid to the business. Oh, can we tell the Jewish guy, man, you can't be an Italian. No matter how much they they live to be an Italian, like James Con, it'll never happen. Here's Bo Dito again with Henry Hill, a.k.a. Ray Liotta. You know the boys. How you doing, boys? All the pals are here. You don't want to talk to me, you're going to have a problem all night. I'm going to be on you like Each one of these cows, 25 to life in New York State. 25 years, pal. I slap your head inside out. Jerry, what were you guys, grocery shopping? What, are we going to make a cake? You got anything good in there or what? Is it good? <laughs> bye bye, kid. <laughs> oh, that's Academy Award winning. All the times that was busted, let me tell you something. I'll never forget. They dragged me into the 75th precinct, the old one up near Rockaway, East New York Avenue. 
right where Brownsville meets Crown Heights, a really old precinct. And I remember a guy like that. He could have been Bo Deedle's cousin or, or the twin, busted me like that, tried to jam me up on all kinds of charges when I was uh, the leader of the Guardian Angels. We were starting to move into Brownsville and Crown Heights organizing. Guy sounded just like Bo Deedle. Could have been Bo Deedle in the old 75th precinct. Oh, that was so good. So did I make the loop of the trifecta, the trinity, the troika? The three dead guys who played mobsters, right? First it was Ray Liotta, best known for Goodfellas. Guy from Jersey, adopted kid. He was no wise guy. Then James Kahn, the Jewish guy who learned his book in Torah, went to a privileged high school in Manhattan. He was no wise guy, even though he pretended to be an affiliate of the Colombo crime family. And then the real-life mobster choking on his lobster, Paulie Walnuts from The Sopranos. He was in Godfather 2, and he was in Goodfellas. Tony Stats, but I can't remember where he was in Goodfellas. I remember the name, but I can't do the facial recognition. If you could connect the dots for me... You're going to get a Curtis Lee with Booby Prize. Styling and profiling that WABC baseball cap that I see more frequently now all throughout the five boroughs and beyond. And not just my show, the Curtis Lee show, but, yeah, the other side of midnight with that Mama Luke, Frank Morano, uh, Bernie and Sid in the morning. Oh, no, it's really a great tchotchke to have. 1-800-848-9222. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. You can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. It was just a week ago that you had these three uh, ladies who are tramps. No other way to describe them. Because just hours before on Ludlow Street, where all the hipsters and millennials love to go bar hopping in the Lower East Side, they had walked into this joint. This is a simple uh, burger and fry joint called Bell Freeze at 4 o'clock in the morning. And these three just busted up the place. And you know what was about Dizzy Izzy? The fact that they wanted extra sauce for their fries. And on the other side of the counter, the attendant said... Sorry, ladies, that'll be a dollar seventy-five. Well, what? And then they just busted up the counter, the cashier, uh, the registers, everything they could get their hands on. I was one of the first to play that video over and over and over, and now it's just taken on a life of their own. And so eventually, the cops got to the location, and all three were busted. But you know, this is Alvin Bragland, Manhattan. They'll be cut loose. There was Pearl Ozaria. There was Chitara Placencia, and there was Tatania Johnson, and they were shaking their booty. While the staff was under assault, one of them got up on the counter, and she was, like, shaking her booty. Like, you couldn't believe it. They tore up the place. And typically what would happen is uh, when I was night manager at Mickey D's up in the Bronx when I formed the Guardian Angels in the late 70s, there was a cardinal rule. You did not come over the counter. You came over the counter. You were a dead man, dead woman walking. You wanted to knock yourself out in the lobby, but come over the counter. That's the DMZ, demilitarized zone. And I got to tell you how many guys came over that counter to cause all kinds of grief, and we'd knock them out, drag them over into the kitchen area, 
And then we'd lock them up in the freezer until the cops came, which would normally about be two or three hours late. Everybody knew. You could act out in the lobby. You don't come home over the counter. That's why we saw that with Jose Alba, the Dominican vendor on the other side of the counter at the Blue Moon Bodega. It was Saturday morning, 139th and uh, Broadway in the heart of the hood. And it's, this guy comes back, you know, part of the baby mama drama. Who knows how many old ladies he had. He had just come back from upstate for assault and battery against a cop. And then all of a sudden, his uh, gal pal, or whatever we want to call her, baby mama drama uh, queen, uh, summons him because she used her uh, she used her uh, uh, food stamps snap card, and it didn't register. And the guy, Jose Alba, said, hey, it's not registering, sorry. And then he, he, he took the uh, uh, potato chips back from uh, her young girl. She said, you're going to pay. I'm going to go get my blankety blank, 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 and, and man, right? I can't say it, but she said it. And when you're in the hood, you got to expect, if they threaten to come back with a gun, a machete, uh, you know, their posse, their old man, whatever, they're going to come back. Jose Alba was ready. So this guy jumps over the counter. We've all seen the video ad nauseum over and over. He pushes Alba down. He threatens Alba. We now know what Jose Alba said. He said, Poppy, Poppy, I, I got no beef with you. Come on, Poppy. And he drags him out, and that's when Jose Alba realizes he's going to drag me outside. His homeboys are probably out there. They'll stomp me to death. So he takes the shit, bam, bam. And then his old lady, the criminal's old lady, pulls a shiv out of her pocketbook and stabs Jose Alba, who ends up getting arrested not her who started it all, but Jose Alba. $500,000 bail, murder two charge. The only one higher murder one, which means it was premeditated. He's rotten out in Rikers Island. And Alvin Bragg, who lives just a few blocks away in the heart of Harlem, just said, hey, you don't fight back in Manhattan. You capitulate. You roll over. You do whatever the criminals say that I turn loose. And then finally, thank God... Uh, I felt we played our role, the guardian angels. My wife, Nancy, did. She had been a criminal defense attorney, still is an attorney. Uh, she had handled cases at 100 Skimmerhorn Street in Brooklyn. We sat uh, in Section 5, 100 Center Street. And in the afternoon, uh, they did a video conference with Jose Alba. He had actually an excellent public defender from Harlem. And she had negotiated a bail package in which they were going to put down $50,000 to spring him. But the judge used common sense and said, no, 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 just put $5,000 in cash. Let this guy go home. We'll give him a bracelet, take his passport, his DR passport, and leave this guy alone. But you think Alvin Bragg has released him? No. Uh, has Eric Adams called DA Alvin Bragg to say, hey, guy, you know, I already said the guy was right. Just go easy on this guy. No. But he has no problem calling uh uh, the ambulance chase, uh, Mike McMahon in Staten Island to tell him, I want you not only to cut loose the guy who smacked Rudy Giuliani in the back at ShopRite, I want you to charge Rudy Giuliani with filing a false police report. <sighs> Let me calm down here. So these three young ladies, two of them are already out, Pearl Osaria and Chitara Placencia. But Tatanya Johnson is still in for a wide variety of other charges, but she'll be cut loose. This is Alvin Bragg, turn him loose, land. But let me tell you a story you haven't heard. This is really at the epicenter of what employees have to deal with and managers, assistant managers, managers, and staff at restaurants, 
bodegas, grocery stores, 7-Elevens, fast food restaurants, supermarkets all over America. Location was Atlanta. It was a Subway sandwich shop out of the many thousands of franchises that are all over America. It was a 26-year-old employee, Brittany Macon, who had her young son with her while she was working. She couldn't get anybody to watch him that day. And she had to go to work because uh, the daddy, you know, MIA, missing in action, not paying child support, so she had to support him. So... You have a customer who comes in, and he orders a sandwich, and he says, you put too much mayonnaise on my sandwich. So she says, I'll be more than happy to give you a new sandwich, you know, less. No, you put too much mayonnaise on my Subway sandwich. And he pulls out a gun, and he shoots her dead in front of her young son. Can you believe that? Yes, I can. This is in Atlanta. He was a witness to all of this, her young son. But an off-duty manager returned fire at the suspect. He missed him. But can you imagine if that happened here? An on-duty manager of a fast food restaurant or off-duty, rest, uh, off-duty assistant manager was strapped with a legally attained carry permit and blasted back. You know Alvin Bragg would lock him up. All these DAs would lock them up here in the five boroughs of the city of New York. Oh, my God. Imagine getting a job to pay your bills and take care of your family only to be killed by some psycho because they felt their Subway sandwich wasn't up to par on the mayo ratio and in front of your child. Now, who out there could make the argument that this mutant... This cretin with chromosome damage should not get the death penalty. Georgia, yeah, Georgia still has the death penalty. They rarely use it. They don't use it as much as Florida has used it or Arkansas or Texas or even Virginia. I love it. The last death penalty case in Virginia, the guy was offered his form of of execution. And they said, you want lethal injection? He said, no. You want the electric, uh, electric chair? He said, no. I want to die by firing squad. Oh, I love that. And that's the Remember, after the death penalty was revived by the United States Supreme Court because there had been a moratorium for many years, the first guy, I forget his name, in Utah, requested to be shot by a firing squad of correctional officers. And remember, always there is one gunman who does not have a bullet in the chamber of their gun. If any of you can tell me why that is the tradition, you will win a Curtis Lebo booby prize. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Margaret from Bloomfield, Michigan, who's been waiting a long time on the phone. Sorry for the lay, Margaret. Well, hello. I had a different question than what you just proposed. I was asking about what does it mean to have eat the Parmesan cheese? Oh, that's classic. First off, let me quantify that, Margaret, that I am proud that I have eaten more Parmesan cheese than any other rat in society. I've ratted out more enemies of society than I think almost anybody else. So I'm proud to be a rat that eats the Parmesan cheese. But there is the prevailing uh, notion, both in the streets and within annals of white-collar crime, blue-collar crime, no-collar crime, organized crime, 
that snitches get stitches and end up in ditches. You should not eat the Parmesan cheese and rat out anybody who committed a crime, Margaret. Okay, do you know why they use the Parmesan cheese as their, you know, descriptive a descriptive word for that? I don't understand. Do you know what? Yeah, well, I'll explain. Uh, recently, I was in the 3rd third, third Avenue Fair in Bay Ridge right before the uh, general election that I lost for mayor against Eric Adams. And I was marching uh, up and down 3rd Avenue, packed in Bay Ridge, Dyker Heights. A lot of people were there. And at about 87th Street and 3rd Avenue, there's Arias, which is a very infamous restaurant there. A lot of Gambino guys hang out there. And they surrounded me because the guy who shot me up five times with hollow-point bullets, uh, Mikey Iannotti, is out. He's done his 20 years of federal time. He's out. They wanted to let me know, hey, Mikey's out. He's going to come finish the job. And I said to them, guess what? You know, he's got to go to the target practice range first and improve his aim. And I said, by the way, I was so happy to rat him out and all of your guys out. And I love the Parmesan cheese. And they went crazy. They said, that's an ethnic slur against Italians, Margaret. I said, what do you think? Italians are the only ones who eat Parmesan cheese? And we almost had a fight there. And I had my oldest son, Anthony, there who went back to back with the Guardian Angels. And I said, oh, my God, I have my son here. If anything happens to him, I'll never be able to explain it. All over the definition of Parmesan cheese, Margaret. Oh, wow. Okay. Real quick, not quick following another uh hold on hold on margaret because you're from bloomfield michigan let me explain one other thing when you go to uh olive garden do you have an olive garden in your area margaret yeah but i've never been don't don't go that's a fake italian restaurant and you know a good italian restaurant i'm telling you you know a good italian restaurant when you go in you ask for the parmesan cheese they're not giving you a canister of craft parmesan cheese that's low budget that's what they do at the Olive Garden. They give you extra baskets of uh, breadsticks, and you think, like, oh, this is so good. You tell them, I want the Parmesan cheese. I want to put my Parmesan cheese on my pasta vasul or my rigatoni. No, no, we can't let you touch the Parmesan. That's a low-budget Italian restaurant when they won't let you put your own Parmesan cheese on because they say, Parmesan cheese, it's so expensive. Great Italian restaurant and say, knock yourself out, Curtis. Here's the Parmesan cheese. You want to grate it? You want to put it on your rigatoni, your pasta vasul? Go ahead. That's a, that's a five-star Italian restaurant. Olive Garden, they give you the craft canister. They say that's, a, that's like Velveeta cheese that they pretend is Parmesan cheese. By the way, Frank Morano, who is now a nationally syndicated talk show, hosts the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. His wife who his beautiful wife, Rachel, just delivered Carmine into the world, their first child. She realizes he's so caught up with radio that he has so little time to urge to merge that he, she knows he loves fromage. He loves cheese. He said it many, many times. She went out and got the Velveeta nail polish. They have Velveeta nail polish, and Frank even acknowledged on the show, Rachel. What is that nail polish you're wearing? Mm. That's how Frank Morano gets charged up. Not with Viagra, not with Levitra, not with Cialis, but with Rachel putting on Velveeta, the Velveeta smell of nail polish. 
Talk Radio 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. You can't touch this. MC Hammer, or better yet, Hammer Man. You can't touch this in terms of talk radio because we're not just doing a rip and read talking about the headlines. Talking about politics, talking about the geopolitical, talking about cultural, social, personal issues. No, we're connecting a lot of these stories to real-life issues that you're not going to hear anywhere else. By the way, you don't want to miss the return of Sid Rosenberg tomorrow. He was away, a week vacation. I guarantee you uh, that after John Katsimatidis took care of the morning show with his partner Bernard McGurk all week, all last week, four hours each morning, five mornings in a row in addition, to the great show at 5, the uh, Katsimatidis roundtable discussion that was making news all weekend long, back-to-back, belly-to-belly, that Sid Rosenberg will be sitting shiva with the Hamantashen for the passage of Tony Sirico. Oh, yeah, Paulie Walnuts, who we knew. Who we knew. And once again, you know, Paulie, Italian, you know, Sid Jewish, wanting to be an Italian guy. Starring in Gemini Lounge, all those degenerates that I knew growing up. Oh, a big star now. Gravesend, they had the party there. Uh, right there and underneath the 18th Avenue L. Oh, my God. It was, uh, he was flexing out there. And he'll probably, all week, he'll be, oh, Tony, my very dear friend, Tony, Tony, Tony. You don't want to miss it. Because I'm the complete opposite. I've kicked dirt onto the gravesite of what? Ray Liotta? Right now, James Kahn and Tony Sirico. And we've told you real-life stories that nobody can deny. Anyway, back to the phones we go. It's Pamela in central New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pamela. Uh, yeah, I apologize if I missed it last night, but one can only stay awake so long. You were about to tell the story of about uh, Al D'Amato and why he railed on Giuliani last week. And I was waiting, and you went to a commercial, and I woke up and darted. If I didn't fall asleep, I missed it. Oh, well, look, uh, see, that's part of the penalty, as I say to all of our listeners, uh, as I do overnight, Saturday mornings, 12 to 6 to the break of dawn. And it's so nice they let me do it twice, Sunday mornings, 12 to 6, is that my job is to keep you pumping and jumping. I'm like uh, I'm like your... Um, uh, audio version of Red Bull. So I'm sorry that you went to sleep on me. That is a Shanda. That is Udiskratziata. But I'm I'm going to let you catch up. I'm going to let you have some extra credit so you can pass the test. Here it was. Al D'Amato on with our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, a 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with Tony Carbonetti, the former chief of staff of Rudy Giuliani himself, Ed Cox, the former state chairman, of the GOP in New York and others in studio. And Rudy had just recovered from having two stents put into his veins where he almost uh, had a heart attack. And, in fact, the one stent was in what they call the Widowmaker's vein, which was all clogged up. He could have died. Two weeks on the campaign trail, going round the clock for his son, Andrew. He never mentioned to anybody that he was having chest pains. He's lucky to have survived that. It wasn't a day and a half later, and his enemy, Al D'Amato, was like just was like over the top. And, and let me tell you, his big former idiot president, and I say idiot president, who lost the election, he lost it because who did he have? He had Rudy Giuliani running around screaming and, 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 and working, and he set him up. 
when Julie Annie went over to the Ukraine, he set the president up. And everybody's a bit shocked because Rudy is, is recovering. He's just recovered in the hospital. But then he just doubled down on the uh, Cats Roundtable discussion Monday through Friday at 5 o'clock. He is an idiot, and he's no good. And I put him in office. He begged I don't know why you hold back, Senator The U.S. Tomato. attorney, I made it, and I'm talking about Rudy Giuliani. And I'll tell you something else. Ouch. And nobody said a damn word about it. When George Pataki ran for governor, who came out? and campaigned against him and flew around the state three weeks before the election. Rudy Giuliani. Do you remember that? I remember it. And Kasha, I remember it. Wait, wait. It was my airplane. That's right. John Katsimatini's airplane. Rudy Giuliani was campaigning for Mario Faccia Bruta Como for a fourth term of governor. I broke ranks with Rudy on that, Mike Kumbaricic, and I stood with Al D'Amato. I stood with George Pataki. We won. They lost. But he went on. I, we can't. We we can't even clean it up. Al started just dropping the bull feathers line, the bull feathers line, the bull feathers. But Pamela, he just went off. Do you, you you get a flavor of what went on, Pamela? Now, right, right. I I, I was actually losing that night. I was like in shock, and then I I didn't. In, you know, not all of us got the Cole story, so we were like, whoa. Well, I'll is- give you the backstory, Pamela. This goes back a long way. Uh, Al D'Amato is correct. Rudy Giuliani would not have been the most powerful prosecutor in America, the U.S. attorney leading the Southern District, had he not gotten the appointment from Al D'Amato, who had just been elected U.S. senator against all odds, against Liz Holtzman and Jacob Javits, who would just not stop running. If Jacob Javits hadn't run, continued to run, uh, Liz Holtzman would have beaten Al D'Amato. So he's the senator. One of the first things he does, the right thing, is he appoints Rudy Giuliani, and naturally the president signs off on it. But then, like almost a year later, he calls up Rudy and says, you know, without me, Rudy, you're not U.S. attendant. I need a favor. My friend, Phil Basile, Lucchese Capo, the guy who gave Henry Hill from Goodfellas, Ray Liotta, the no-show job, he's getting jammed up. Can you do the right thing by him? Rudy says to him, this is an inappropriate call. You're a U.S. senator. Are you trying to have influence with me on a mob guy, Phil Basile, of the Lucchese crime family? And I mean, they've been enemies ever since, if you, you understand, Pamela. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. All right. I knew I was missing something there. Oh, okay. Oh, no, it's like, oh, a, uh, okay. like a blood feud. You know, uh, Sicilians and Albanians, they'll take uh, a blood feud mm-hmm. for, for centuries. It'll go on centuries. This is going to go on until the day both of these men pass to the hereafter, I believe, and by the way, I'm in it, too, because since I am considered uh, a part and appendage to Rudy Giuliani, Al D'Amato has had, um, uh, let's just say, very unkind words about me of late, both in public and private. We can't use that language here on WABC. But remember, here at WABC, we don't just talk about the news. We don't just give commentary about the news. We're oftentimes involved with the news, as you heard, uh, our... Uh, our court clerk who said that Tony Sirico, Paulie Walnuts, who passed away, may have been involved in doing a home invasion against our own cousin Brucie 55 years ago. We're going to expect Sid Rosenberg to find out about that. That's number one. Number two, me being sued by James Kahn 
for all the wrong reasons. I had the wrong mobster that I, I alleged that he was swapping spit with and kissing in the court as a character witness. I said it was Andrew Mush Russo. In fact, it was Carmine the Snake Persico. I want to rescind that apology. And, of course, everything else that happens here, all about John Katsimatidis and all the people he's assembled together to make us once again the number one news talk station in the nation, 770 AM WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. In Napoli, where love is king, when boy meets girl, here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. You don't want to miss it today. Following Vinnie Madugno, the rising star from Staten Island, teaches high school by day in Staten Island, entertains the night, and then comes before all of you as the protege of uh, Cousin Brucie. He does Saturdays 5 to 6 and now Sundays 5 to 6. And then we have, naturally, Joe Piscopo, Jersey Joe, with the two-hour Sinatra extravaganza sponsored by Ramsey Monster. And then the first-year anniversary, uh, Dina Martin, daughter of Dean Martin, raising the roof in celebration when she was brought into the entertainment fold here by John and Margot Katsimatidis of our parent company, Red Apple Media, from 8 to 9. And then I return and do it all over again. Oh, you're not going to want to miss it. You get... You get news talk, you get entertainment. It doesn't get any better than this at WABC. But let's go to Nick in Woodside. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Nick. Hey, Curtis, what's up? Uh, you tell me. <laughs> I just want to answer that question from Giffo. Uh, the scene when Tony was uh, being... Oh. Yeah, Tony Sirico, uh, Tony yeah. Stacks. I, I, I can't make the... F- the, the uh, facial identification recognition. Where was that in Goodfellas? Do you know, remember the scene when uh, Henry's pointing out the uh, mailman? He's in the back seat. He says, that's him right there. They bring him over. He was right there, and they bring him to the pizzeria. They're about to put his head in the oven. Oh, that's right. So He was one on the right. Oh, that's right. And remember, Tony Sirica, the real-life uh, gangster, Ray Liotta wasn't. He was a wannabe. Definitely James Conn was a wannabe. Tony Sirica, the real deal, a leg breaker for the Colombo crime family. But he is the only one to have appeared. Godfather 2, Goodfellas, as you just, just described uh, so beautifully, Nick. And obviously, in every episode of The Sopranos, is Paulie Walnuts. They wanted him as Uncle Junior first. Uh, Chase wanted him. David Chase said, he said, no, I can't do that. I'm not a geriatric, espresso-sipping, psychotic killer of organized crime like Uncle Junior. Could you cut out a new part for me? They, they created a part for him because, you know, he had the wings. You know, he had the white hair with the black Esquire shoe polish he would put on. He said, just one thing, David. You can, you can have me killed in any scene. I don't care. Cut me out of the script. Just never have me be a rat eating the Parmesan cheese. And that was the deal that elevated uh, Tony Sirico to become Paulie Walnuts side-by-side with Tony Soprano in almost every episode that you saw of The Sopranos. Now, 
Are you going to get anything better than this? Uh, yes. Up next, the Staten Island kid, the rising star at WABC, Vinny Madunio. Back in old Napoli, that's amore.